Midas Pharo looking for two. Doncaster straight. Can he do it again? Light up the world is getting up near the fence. But Pharo, Pharo dashed to the lead from Abbe Glenn and light up the world, followed by Aragen and Brave Warrior. But Gavin Eads goes for home on Pharo. Look at Auntie Mary. Auntie Mary out of the back. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and Pride's Easy Feed. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change. So really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation. Like most New Zealand horsemen, Paul Shaler started early in life. Born and reared in Foxton on the North Island, he was on a pony from the time he could walk. He was riding track work at age 11 and he rode in his first barrier trial at age 13, obviously bending the rules slightly. He later became apprentice to master jockey tutor Kevin Gray at Patia near Waverley and he went on to ride professionally for three seasons which brought him over 120 winners. He came to Sydney as a track work rider in the year 2000 for a young New Zealand trainer called Chris Waller who was just getting on his feet at Rose Hill. Almost a decade later, he returned to New Zealand to begin a training partnership with his brother Chris, a successful partnership which terminated when Chris Waller invited him back to Australia to manage his new Gull Coast training complex. Paul delivered some great results over the next four years, but decided to resign and move on when a minor domestic dispute was blown out of proportion early in 2021. With the backing of some supportive owners, Paul was able to source a stabling barn on the Port Macquarie racecourse and a brand new career began. He's currently working 32 horses and the winner's have been flowing. I've had several requests to talk to Paul Shaler on the podcast because this man has a story that makes for very good listening and I'm pleased to say I've been able to pin him down for an interview on Thursday the 20th of April. Paul, we haven't met officially so it's nice to make your acquaintance via the podcast. Likewise, John. Uh, thank you very much for having me on. It's an absolute pleasure. And uh, you've been a, uh, a, a an icon of mine for a very, very long time. When I was a young pup in New Zealand and uh, used to watch Australian racing, 
Um, you're a voice that I will remember for a long time and um, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. Very kind of you to, to make those comments, Paul. I appreciate it. Now, mate, I realise stabling accommodation is hard to find anywhere, so you didn't want to miss the bus when boxes became available at Port Macquarie about 18 months ago. How many boxes at first? Uh, we come up with the uh, a barn of 22, John, so mm. um, we've been able to secure another 10 uh, boxes across the road from where we are. Um, it's a very good barn. Um, as I say, 22 boxes. We've got a couple of six-horse walkers there, and um, the club have been very accommodating. Mm. Well, it, you'd be hard-pressed to get you out of that lovely place now, wouldn't they, the, the mid-north coast? A lot of your work with the horses is done at the beach. Don't they love it? They do, and horses seem to react very well to it. Um, as I said, it's it's a, a very nice, very nice property, um, a lovely town to live in, as you alluded to. And um, no horses that we just like to mix things up a little bit, and we're lucky to have the you know the access to the beach. You've got seven kilometres of uninterrupted beach here that we can that we can use, and we've also got the local river that we can swim in, uh, some lovely watering holes there. So just a nice change of scenery, and it changes up things for the horses mentally and freshens them up nicely for race day. I remember Port Macquarie 50 or 60 years ago, Paul, when it was a sleepy little village for fishermen or Sydney retirees. It's very different today. Yes, he's a bustling bustling uh, metropolis at times, especially when it comes to uh, the holiday makers. They certainly come in their droves and um, gets very populated in those times. But um, as you say, it's getting bigger and bigger, uh, but it is a great spot. And I can see why people want to come, uh, will go there and come mm. here because, uh, you know, the beaches are beautiful. We've got some lovely restaurants and pubs and um, it's a great lifestyle, that's for sure. You've got comfortable access to any number of tracks on the coast in the Hunter. You can be in Brisbane or Sydney in reasonable time. And the new country prize money levels have made it a very viable situation. Yes, yeah, certainly has. And uh, now with those country boosted races too that have recently been um, uh, given to us, that we can you know race for thirty thousand dollars and against country trained horses only, which is important. Mm. Um, and I think. As we speak about prize money in the country, um, it, it is very, very good, and, and we're very, very grateful for Mr. Volandis and what he's doing for race in New South Wales. Um, but I think we just need to be a little bit careful in, in some places. If the country prize money does keep rising, which we want it to do, mm. uh, it will attract a lot of metropolitan stables if it becomes too good yeah. which makes it very very difficult for uh, for us country trainers to win races so um whilst it's it's good i think we just need to be mindful and, and need to just just tread carefully and yeah. and um and, and maybe some more restricted races for country trained horses with mm. good prize money would be very beneficial yeah you're just outside the danger zone there <laughs> We, we are at the moment. We are at the moment. They're filtering down. They're, they're yeah. coming as far as Taree and, and the Queensland trainers sort of come as far as Grafton, but we're, we're yeah. sort of un, untouched at the moment at Port Macquarie and, mm. and Coffs Harbour, so we're lucky there, but I'm sure it'll come. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. But places like Goulburn, for instance, and Bathurst and Canberra, I mean, Waterhouse, Botter, Regulars, Beyond Baker never misses them. Uh, mm. Mar and Eustace are getting there more frequently. It's a bit scary. 
yeah, it is. And, I, you know, it'd be, it'd be very worrying times if I was a country trainer in those areas. Uh, it'd make business very, very difficult because, you know, we, we, um, you know, we go to sales and we're trying to purchase horses at, at a reasonable price and and uh, the trainers, like, and, and rightly so, I mean, they've got to do the right thing by their clients and, and owners and um, try and win races with their horses. But they're bringing two, three, four hundred thousand dollar $400,000 horses to Taree and mm. Goulburn and, and, and alike, and, um, and we're turning up with horses off the off the English digital sale. So, yes, yes. Um, yeah, so I mean, what it does is it, it makes us work harder, and uh, and we need to as country trainers, we need to work harder, build better client relationships, and um, and try and get some people to back us and and spend a little bit of money at the sales. Which I believe I am one of the fortunate country trainers that have that backing. Mm. Mate, let's um, move on to another subject before depression sets in. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Before we take a stroll down memory lane, may we confirm officially that you and your partner, Michelle, are less than two months away from becoming the parents of twin boys. Exciting times. Yeah, absolutely, John. And, uh, yeah, thrilled thrilled for this to happen and at a, in a great time in my life too. Um, I've had a you know, many things in my life, ups and downs, and um, I've finally settled now and um, have a, a good, young, healthy business. Um, my partner, Michelle, is a wonderful asset to that business, and um, she's been a, 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 you know, a rock, a rock for me during some tough times, mm. and um, and uh, we're very, very, very proud that we're going to be having identical twin boys. And as you say, I think we're only eight, eight or nine weeks away from that happening. And uh, yeah. really, really exciting. Let's reflect on that first barrier trial win in New Zealand when you were only 13 years of age. Somebody must have pulled a few strings. How did you get to ride in a trial at 13? Yeah, I, I can't. I don't know, and I tell. I remember the horse too. It was called Am Frank, A M F A F R A N K. It was um, a lady called Karen Buttermore trained the horse, and I reckon I rode in track pants too. I had track pants and long boots on, and um, oh. yeah, I was thirteen years old. I had my first barrier trial, but I've been riding track work for a long time um, at a place called Hawara, where we uh, where I grew up with my parents and my dad. Alan Chapman at the time was um, the course curator. Was he? So he used, oh. yeah, yeah, and he's the course curator at Rickerton Racecourse in New Zealand now, where they have the Thousand Guineas and the New Zealand mm. Cup. And um, yeah, so that's how I sort of come about being involved with horses. He used to wake me up and I'd go to work with him. And eventually I started riding track work for a lot of local trainers there at Hawara, including mm. Kevin Myers. Uh, who's a legend in New Zealand, especially when it comes to jumps racing. Mm. He has a very um, good association with Patrick Payne in Melbourne, does Kevin. And um, all those trainers, local trainers at Harwell there, put me on for a lot of years. And then eventually um, Mr Gray, Kevin Gray, snapped me up and um, mm. I ended up moving to moving to Kevin's and ended up having my first barrier trial at 13 and my first race there right at 15. Mm. Now, Kevin trained on his own property, didn't he, at a lovely little place called Patia. Um, describe yep. the property. Did he have his own track? Obviously did. Yeah, we did. We had a we had a, a nice track down at the back there and I think we would have had it at any given time at maximum. I think we would have had close to 90 to 100 horses in work. Yeah. Um, it was pretty isolated, pretty remote. We were probably 10 or 15 minutes out of Partia, 
Mm. And Partia was a tiny little town that only had a couple of pubs and, um, yeah, and a dairy or what Seven mm. Eleven, what you Aussies call them. But um, it was a big property. Um, there was horses on one side of it and dairy cattle on the other side. Um, he ran a big operation. He had a lot of staff and a lot of apprentices, and um, a lot of champion apprentices went through that property, that's for sure. Mm, well, let's look at a few of them. He was the Theo Green of New Zealand in mm. that era. Uh, Kim Clatworthy was one that comes to mind. Yeah, Kim Clapperton. Yeah, Kim Clapperton. Clapperton, beg your pardon. Yeah, yep. Clapperton, John. Yeah, she was a, she was a champion female um, jockey in New Zealand and she went on to ride overseas in Macau and Malaysia and Singapore, I believe. And, mm. um, yeah, she done wonderful things, opened the door to a lot of New Zealand uh, female riders and um, I think she's still in New Zealand now as a – uh, as an apprentice, I think she works with the apprentices, from what I believe, but yeah. um, just a wonderful rider. And, um, yeah, there were others, Hayden Tinsley and Lisa Allpress. They were all very, very good riders. Yeah, Bruce Hurd was another. Yeah, Hurdy, he was um, a great jockey and obviously did a stint here in Australia for Gay Waterhouse um, as her provincial rider. He rode a lot of winners before going home and mm. um, I think uh, well, I spoke to Mr Gray two or three days ago and I, I think Hurdy is uh, still working for Mr Gray. I think he's breaking in horses for him now. Good heavens. Now, you tell me Kevin Gray is 86 years of age but still training a pretty sizable team of horses. Mm, yeah, he's got him and Kathleen, his wife, they've got a lovely property there in Palmerston North, uh, Copper Belt Lodge, mm. and I think they've got close to 30 horses in work. Um, he still wins races on a regular basis and uh, just a wonderful man, um, wonderful people that um, I hold close to my heart and uh, they're as close to family as you can get without being family, that's really? for sure. Yeah, it's lovely. Absolutely, yeah. Mm. Well, Kevin Gray is probably best remembered, certainly in Australia, as the trainer of Daffodil. Terrific mare. She won the AJC Oaks at Randwick and a couple of other Group 1s at home. Yeah, she was a, she was a wonderful filly and, uh, yeah, definitely his best horse. And, um, yeah, he's a he's a good old bastard, that's for sure. He was a tough man, John. Don't worry about that. Was, was he? <laughs> Oh my word, he was a tough man. He he worked us hard, and um, you know he he taught us boys and to have respect for for, for females. And at at the time when we were apprentices, we had a communal house staff house, and um, in the winter the girls get to, uh, used to be allowed to knock off 20 minutes before the boys and uh, so they got first use of the hot water they got all the hot mm. showers and while they were in the shower the boys had to go and chop the firewood and, and light the fire in the staff house so it was warm for the girls and then we got second dibs of the water you see yeah. so just stuff like that and at breakfast time when we all had to line up and and wait for the wait for our brekkie and uh, the girls always went first and then the boys and just mm. small stuff like that life lessons that he that he taught us and um, but geez he could ride a horse himself could he, I think could he was he? Yeah, yeah he was a New Zealand rodeo champion from um, from memory and um, and you know if you rode for Mr Gray you weren't frightened that's for sure you 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 saddle up a young one and throw you on it and throw you in the round yard and do your best, son, and he'd be yelling and yahooing at you. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, they were great days and they just they just taught you to be hard and um, you come out the other end, a, you know, a pretty hardened person. Yeah, it sounds as though Kevin Gray worked under the same charter as the late, great Theo Green. 
I've spoken over the years to many of his former champion apprentices, Malcolm Johnston, Gordon Spinks, Ron Quinton, Darren Beedman, and others, and they all told me the same story, that when you started work at Theo's place, the first thing he said was, Son, I don't know if I can make you a good jockey, but I'll tell you something, I'll make you a good person. Mm. Mm. That, was that, his, was that was his charter. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mr. Groves, very, very similar. Mm. Very similar. Yeah, he either made you or he broke you, one or the other. So, um, But he made a lot, of, a lot of good people and a lot of good riders. You rode for three seasons, uh, Paul. You won more than 120 races. The first two seasons were terrific. You started to struggle a bit in the third because your weight was sneaking up. Now, there's no room for humility here, mate. How did you rate yourself as a jockey? Don't we, we always seem to get better when we retire, don't we? Every year that goes by. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah. every year that goes by, you're better and better and the weight got the better of you. But no, I was, look, I think as a, a young apprentice starting out, um, I sort of started off with a boom and um, any of Mr. Gray's apprentices, if they had a little bit of a kick along and they started riding winners, well, you know, everyone sort of went a little bit crazy over you, like you're going to be the next best thing. And I remember there was an article, or I think Alexander Fields, who was, a, he worked on Trackside New Zealand one day, and I, mm. I um, we, and I still talk to ARA these days, and we joke about it. I was behind the barriers on a horse, and, and uh, he said, before I went in the gates, the horse I was riding from memory, I think it was Famous Lou, and he goes, and Paul Shaler on Famous Lou, he says, I'm tipping this kid to be the next Brent Thompson. Oh, dear. That's it. Yeah, and I don't think I ever rode another winner after it. So. <laughs> That's putting pressure on, isn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, no, but I, I, I rode a, my fair share of winners um, with a claim and, um, you know, and then had, had a little bit of a quiet time and then started to struggle with a bit of weight. And then I, I think I had a bit of time off and, and made a comeback. And I reckon I was twice or three times the rider when I come back um, from when I started. And uh, But I just couldn't maintain it, um, couldn't maintain keeping my weight down. And oh, no. it was doing my head in mentally. And, yeah, um, yeah it got pretty tough. But, uh, yeah, then I put a bit of weight on and decided to have a crack over the jumps. That's our next subject. That, mm. that lasted three races. Yeah, yeah, it was short and sweet. I don't know about sweet, but it was short. <laughs> I, I, yeah, my first jumps ride was on a horse called Tech Man of Mr. Gray's, and it was at Waverley. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a 2,400-metre hurdle race, and it started from the 1,400-metre shoot down the back straight. Mm. And um, I was King Ho when I hopped on the in the parade ring and I canted around to the start and um, I had some pretty good jump riders around me at the time. Damon Smith was in the field, Eddie Lamb, Brett Scott, who's a wonderful jumps rider. Mm. Uh, they were all there and giving me a pep talk saying, you'll be all right, Doogie, you'll be all right, mates. And I loaded into the barriers and I looked up and I seen the first hurdle about 50 or 60 yards in front of me. Yeah. And uh, the feeling I got going through me at that time was, you know, when you're at a theme park and you're going up the roller coaster <laughs> yeah. for the first time. Yes. And you just think to yourself, God, I don't want to do this. I wish I could get off right now oh, before dear. you go down the drop. Yeah, and that's how it went. And yeah. Anyway, I made it round and uh, – no, I didn't. I didn't make it round. I hit the front at the 600 and uh, mm. I think I, cra- I crashed at the second to last. So, oh. um 
Yeah, and then I had a steeplechase ride after that. I fell off at the third fence, and I thought I had one more crack at the hurdles. I ran last, and I thought, nah, mm. that's, this is not for me. There's got to be a better way to make a living than this. But no injury, Paul. You you escaped injury-free. I, I did, and I tell you, John, I, and I don't want to jinx myself here. I, as you said, I've been riding horses from a young age, and I've been in the racing industry for a long, long time, and uh, I've never broken a bone. Goodness me. I know, and I've fallen and crashed, and... I don't know. Yes, I'm pretty lucky. No, that's pretty rare. You know, the former great jockey Ron Quinton was telling me recently uh, he did suffer one bad wrist injury at Canterbury in the 1980s, but he never broke an arm or a leg, Ron Mm. Quinton, and he had thousands of race rides. Yeah, yeah, and what a wonderful jockey and a wonderful man he is too, that's Uh, for sure, and he goes all right at the training caper too. Absolutely. I think he's, mm. he's won five or six group ones as a trainer. He's done yeah. a great job. Five now, or six more than me. Uh, Paul, you're a lot younger. <laughs> we'll hope to get there. We'll get there. Now, mate, you and Chris Waller grew up in the same town of Foxton, and he was always very focused on becoming a horse trainer. He worked for Paddy Busserton at the time, who had the great old Steyer Castletown in the stable. In fact, I think Chris looked after Castletown. He did. What a wonderful horse he was. And um, he won, I think he won three, three, or he did, he won three Wellington Cups. And um, He won an Auckland but, Cup and he ran yeah, third in a Melbourne Cup. He did, he did. And mm. uh, I remember when he won his third Wellington Cup, the great, race commentator in New Zealand, Tony Lee, mm. he said, and dreams have burst into reality. I remember it so vividly when he when he hit the front into the last hundred and ran away with it. And Yeah, uh, yeah he was a great horse around the time. There was some good horses going around at that time, John, with, you know, Castletown and Viander Cross and mm. our poetic prince, Rough Habit. Geez, there were some good horses around New Zealand that, that era. Mm. Now, he must have been a sound old bloke, Castletown, he had 106 starts. He went on forever. Yeah, he did. And he was a beautiful-looking horse too, just a nice dark brown black horse. And um, But I think that it would have been testament for that horse's career to be so long to the trainer, Paddy Busson. And um, Paddy trains in Deegan now in Queensland. But uh, mm. um, he was a very good trainer, Paddy. He had a lot of horses in work. And um, he, yeah, he had a very good male filly called Plume as well. Um, mm. uh, can't remember what races she won in New Zealand, but uh, he had some good horses, Paddy. And uh, he's the father of Trent, obviously, and Trent's yes. done wonderful things in Melbourne, and Trent's a great friend of mine. Mm. Well, young Chris Waller would have had the job of accompanying Castletown on some of those Australian visits. This is probably when Chris gained a taste for Australian racing. I would suggest so, John. I would suggest so, and... Uh, yeah, obviously, after Paddy, um, Paddy decided to take up a contract or or move to Singapore and train, um, Chris took over uh, Paddy's stable there in Foxton mm. and um, and uh, went out on his own. And he poked around New Zealand for a few years, Chris, and um, at a time when I was still riding race day and I actually rode mm. a, a, a bit of race day for him. Mm. Um yeah, I think he had, you know, reasonable success. I'd be the first, he'd be the first to admit that, you know, he didn't set the world on fire in New Zealand, but mm. um, he had one horse called Party Bell, John, and yeah. um, I think she opened up a few doors for him, that's for sure. Well, he brought her to Australia in 1998, 
and he won three straight out of town. Then he went home again. He brought her back, oh, not long after, eight or nine months later, and he won another three straight in the city this time. So I'll be surprised if Chris doesn't credit Party Bell uh, as the horse to launch him in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. I would suggest that would be the case. And, um, yeah, it wasn't long after that, John, that uh, the boxes became available at Rose Hill. And mm. and uh, that was around the same time that uh, I decided to give up riding in New Zealand and I was just punching horses around track work and um, Chris moved to Rose Hill and asked me if I wanted to come over and ride work for him. So mm. I took up the opportunity to do so. Mm. Mate, before we talk about that and your connection with Chris in Sydney, I don't think it's widely documented that you and Chris Waller's wife, Stephanie, are first cousins. Her yes, mum yes. and your mum are sisters. Yes, yes, we're related and, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we're very close and, um, and both Chris, myself and Stephanie have had a, a very good relationship for, a, for many years and, um, and, you know, well, we're family basically, so... Mm. Um, yeah, no, and uh, when I told Chris that uh, I was having twins, he had a little tear as I at Ramwick there not long ago. And, did he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, he did. So, um, you know, we've been through a lot. We've been through a lot, Chris and I, and, um, you know, I'm still proud to say that we're friends and mm. uh, may, it, may it long continue. You rode work for the stable for four years, then he made you foreman and eventually assistant trainer. Yeah, good years, John. Really, really good years. Um, you know, I rode work for for a while there, and I used to. I actually didn't like riding, to be honest with you. I, um, I used to beg Chris. I said, "Mate, can I please stop riding?" So he said, "No, you're right." He used to make me ride every day, yeah, and we'd have yeah. a few arguments about it. La da da. But anyway, I, I got my way in the end, and uh, yeah, and I was foreman for a while, and as you say, ended up assistant trainer, and uh, for probably the last four or five years there, and. They were good years because that's when Chris was really on the rise and starting to come through the ranks. And, um, you know, we started off sort of winning city races with horses like Star of the Seas and mm. Kesia, uh, Rip on By. These were horses that were sort of putting Chris on the map. And um, and and his good friend, Tony Mulo, um, who is a, a, you know, a good friend of Chris's for a long time and still owns horses with him now. Mm. Um, give Chris a lot of horses to start off, or well, not a lot of horses, but the right horses to start off with in Australia. And yeah. um, well, Chris will be the first to say that he, you know, would, would you know appreciate what Tony done done for him. And mm. and then along came the horses like Rangy Rangdo and Dan Lee and Middle Bender and Triple Honor and, and the yeah. like. That they were among your favourites. Triple Honor was his first Group One winner, wasn't it, Doncaster? Certainly was, yeah. Um, I, I can't remember. I'm sure he flopped before the Doncaster or he ran. Jeez, I, I, I can't remember. I'm, mm. uh, yeah, I think he ran really well in, in, in the, this, one of the lead-ups and then he flopped the start before and uh, Chris thought gee, he might be training off this horse. So mm. he uh, he moved him from one barn to the other barn, just give him a different outlook on life and the horse just responded so well, I remember it. And, mm. um, because I used to ride him work actually and the horse just uh, just went to a whole other level. Mm. And uh, yeah, and Bossy was engaged to ride him, uh, three-year-old and the Doncaster down in the weights. We see it so many times, don't we? And they just sort of mm. overdid it up front and he burst through and um, was a great, great day. Uh, mm. Philip, Philip Ng and, and co were in the ownership and 
we all went out for a lovely Chinese meal afterwards. And, mm. uh, yeah, it was a very, very good time. Mm. Boss, he loved the Doncaster. I think he, he won seven of them, and I'm pretty sure that stands as a record. Yeah, well, between, between him and Chris, they've won their fair share of them, haven't they? Haven't they? What? Yeah. I, I think Chris has probably won seven or eight himself. So, um, But I guess Bossy, um, what a you know, wonderful jockey and um, you know, and particularly a lightweight jockey. And just mm. when those big races are on, he, he rose, to the, rose to the occasion time and time again. And mm. uh, he'll go down as one of the greats, that's for sure. Your brother, Chris, asked you to return to New Zealand and join him in a training partnership. And you did that and it was one of the happiest experiences of your life. You two did very well. Yeah, we had a lot of luck early days, John. We started off really well. We worked bloody hard. Jeez, we worked hard. Um, And just trying to get going in New Zealand was very, very difficult. It was trying to – very difficult to get owners, uh, trying to promote yourself in that that country is – uh, very challenging, and um, you know, New Zealanders are very different to Australians in mm-hmm. that light. That Australians don't mind spending a bit of money from time to time or having a punt and a gamble, but us Kiwis, we're miserable bastards. I promise you that. And yeah. uh, especially those dairy farmers, they don't like letting go of their money. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, we had a fair old crack early days, and um, you know, we I think we had a good two-year-old that won the champagne stakes and we had another good two-year-old she went on and won her first three and then mm. was beaten in the Caraca million uh, she ran second in the Caraca million um but we had a fair bit of success and a really healthy strike rate but we just couldn't we just couldn't get enough support there um to just keep building and um, it was becoming frustrating and um and where our results sort of started taping off there towards the end and Mm. Um, at that time, at that time, um, Chris had rung and, uh, or I speak, I used to speak to Chris regularly when I was mm. in New Zealand, I regularly still just keep in touch. And he said that, uh, Winx was having her last run on the Queen Elizabeth. Why don't you come over and mm. watch it? So I, um, I picked up and went over for the weekend and I stayed at Chris's and the next day we we're having a barbecue at his house. And he said, Paul, he said, I'm thinking about opening up a stable in the Gold Coast. Would you be interested in in you know something like that and uh, i happened. said yeah 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 i flew home i said you just tell me when chris and, and that's how that that came about mm. well we'll talk about that and other things in a moment paul we're going to break uh, for a moment or two to clear a commitment on the podcast and we'll come back with you after this this is the time of year when Sydney's metropolitan racetracks get a brief respite. The Gosford Race Club is gearing up for its most important meeting of the year on Saturday, May 6th, when the half million dollar The Coast, the three and four year olds over one mile, will highlight a top program. The Coast last year launched a unique treble for the Chris Lee's trained rustic steel, who next start won the Scone Cup and a few months later, the inaugural Big Dance. Co-features at Gosford will be the listed Gosford Gull Cup and the listed Takeover Target Stakes. The feature sprint was originally known as the Pace Setter Stakes, famously won by Takeover Target in 2004. And not surprisingly, the Pace Setter was renamed the Takeover Target Stakes in 2009. The Gosford Entertainment Grounds will be fairly humming on Saturday, May the 6th. Action swings to the hunter on Friday, May 12th, 
when the Scone Cup and the English two-year-old challenge will highlight the first day of the carnival. Saturday the 13th will see five stakes races run on the Scone track. The Group 3 Dark Jewel for fillies and mares along with the Luscan Star, the Hortensia, the Denise's Joy and the Woodland Stakes. The championships are done and dusted for another year but there's plenty happening on the Central Coast and in the Hunter 6th 12th and 13th of May. Well, you had a very productive four years as stable manager for Chris Waller on the Gold Coast. You won many races in that time, including some elite level ones. Now, Shaquiro, Paul, I want to talk to you about him. You had him right through his first couple of preparations because he was actually broken in in Queensland and you identified him very early on. As a, as a natural two-year-old, an early two-year-old, and the story goes that you convinced Chris to bring him to Sydney quickly for the breeder's plate. Yeah, um, he was a he was a high-quality two-year-old, as, as you said. And, um, I mean, when you say I oh, convinced Chris to send him to the breeder's plate, I mean, we, we spoke about horses regularly, John, and and where they should go and, you know, and what I thought of them and what he thinks and, and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, we would just go through the list of two-year-olds that were there and, you know, Chris would say, do we turn it out? Do we keep going? Do we just – and, you know, we just got to him and um, and I just said to Chris, this horse is above average two-year-old. He goes very, very good and I wouldn't be turning him out. We probably need to, you know, push the button with him a little bit. And, um, yeah, he was on the next float down to uh, – down to New to Chris's stable in Sydney, mm. and um, he went on and won the Breeders, and then made his way back up here and mm. went on and won the Magic Millions. But he was a, a, a really good horse, a, a, and just he was he was very strong mentally. He coped with a lot of things well. Um, he was easy mm. to do anything with, and he was very fast. <laughs> he yes, was very wasn't he? fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. Um, and uh, is owned by Nev Morgan, who's also been a long-time supporter of uh, Chris, and um, Nev's had some wonderful horses over the years, uh, mm. as you say, Kermadec and, and Rangi Rangdu and Shaquero, um, yeah, Kukaracha won a Queensland derby for him, so it was uh, great to see Nev win the Magic Millions, and mm. um, it was a good day. He's been an enigma, hasn't he, in a way, Shaquero? I think he won only one other race, after the Magic Millions, and he was retired uh, not too long ago. I think he's finished now. Um, yeah. What, what did he lose his way? What What oh, was your reading? How often do we see it, John? You know, two-year-olds be be good two-year-olds and win a lot of prize money, and they just fail to come back at three and four, don't they? Mm. Um, and, and I mean, he was a cult too, so I guess. Um, once he sort of switched off, uh, you know, he just failed to switch back on. But as far as, you know, my – as far as I can say, he done his job, That I believe. You know, he yes. he won a lot of – probably won a lot of prize money um, and he was a horse that sort of decided that, okay, well, he's going to be a two-year-old, so let's, you know, let's make him a two-year-old. And um, knowing that you're probably going to – you know, there is that risk there, a sacrifice in their longevity <laughs> – um, but, uh, but you know, he done a wonderful job, won some good races and won a lot of prize money. You had the pleasure of looking after Star Thoroughbred's lovely mare in Vincibella whenever she travelled north. She won the Magic Million Phillies and Mares Classic three times and she won a Group 1 Tats Tiara. 
I think she's one of Denise Martin's all-time favourites. Yeah, well, she would be. She'd be mm. one of everyone's all-time favourites. She, I tell you, she was a beautiful mare, John. She was mm. big um, from memory. I reckon when we put her on the scales, I reckon she tipped the scales at close to 580 kilos. Mm. Um, yeah, or maybe 572, I, I think she sort of weighed in at. And um, Chris just made that Gold Coast race every year, her race. He planned it so perfectly and uh, she was prepared so well. And just once she got to Queensland, she just went to another level every year. And uh, just a lovely, big, quiet mare. And um, and as you say, she was able to do the job on three occasions, um, mm. which is no mean feat. And then uh, went on to give Jason Collard his first Group 1 winner uh, mm. when she won the Tats Tiara at Eagle Farm. Correct. Must have been a bit of pressure on the Gold Coast stable manager by the same token. You've got to keep them ticking over, keep them as well as they are when they arrive and hopefully improve them a touch. Well, um, yeah, certainly. I mean, push is what you make it, isn't it, John? But I guess when you're working with horses of the profile that, that Chris has got, and, um, you know, I remember that they rang me and, and said, oh, you know, we're sending up a, a truckload of horses one year. And they said, look, after this 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 one year, he's very, very good. And, and, and we dropped the door and it was the autumn sun, and then behind the autumn sun was Zoo Sane, and behind Zoo Sane was Lean Mean Machine. Good. Um, yeah, mm. you know, like three magnificent colts in their own right, and they could all gallop, and obviously none more so than the autumn sun, but um, well, what a horse he was. Mm. And, uh, you know, he got up there, and, you know, he was he was, the, he was small and a little bit narrow, and um, – but as he acclimatised and the warmer we got into the warmer weather, he just went from strength to strength and um, just a just a great animal. And what a what a beautiful temperament he had. And um, mm. you know, love to see him make it as a stallion. No surprise that John Massara uh, quickly earmarked him for Arrowfield studies. Caulfield Guinea's win was just unforgettable for those that saw it, and his Randwick Guinea's win was every bit as impressive. Yeah, it was something else, wasn't it? Mm. That's for sure. Yeah, only beaten once and um, you know, probably could make a case there that he should have won that day also. Mm. Tumultuous, uh, black on gold, Madame Rouge, all won Magic Millions features on your watch, which would have pleased you no end. Yeah, for sure. Well, they're, they're big days and, and they're, they're why we, you know, they're the days that we want to be at the races and um, you know, those horses were prepared well. And I tell you, at the time, John, at that Gold Coast stable, when we had those horses there, we had a great bunch of staff and, and, and they worked tirelessly and, um, you know, all within, you know, what is a great system that Chris has. And, um, you know, and if you just stick to the systems that he has in place, horses respond well uh, and, uh, and you get the results at the end of the day. Paul, I'm going to raise the subject of that widely reported party that allegedly featured a physical altercation between yourself and a staff member. Now, this is the way it filtered through to Sydney, that the party was held by way of a celebration after Shaquiro's Magic Millions win and uh, that there were many people there who witnessed the alleged incident. So that's wrong on two counts, you tell me. It is, John. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we celebrated after the Magic Millions win. 
uh, don't get me wrong, on the Saturday night there at the Gold Coast, uh, but that was sort of all done and dusted with um, obviously Sunday morning and whatnot. And uh, we were back at work on Monday and, and working hard as as a team and and an united team that we were. Um, but this happened on the Wednesday after um, after the Magic Millions. Uh, it was just simply an afternoon, a hot afternoon, where we were working and. Um, you know, and I will say this to you, John, as I said earlier, the Chris has got great systems in place. And if you abide by the systems and the systems work well, mm. you'll go to the next level. Well, I guess on this occasion, I broke the system where, um, you know, that Wednesday afternoon, I decided that, um, you know, we'd shout the staff a few drinks and, um, and, and we did that. And there was about six or seven of us uh, in the shed there after the you know after work having a drink and then we sort of moved on into the house which is located in front of the stables um and yeah it probably proceeded went longer than it needed to go Mm. um we got a bit messy and um there there was a minor altercation there between myself and another staff member Mm. um but it got blown out of proportion but uh, you know i can understand why and 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 i regret it I, i really do i regret it and i feel terrible because um, of the reflection that it put on Chris and his business because he's a professional man mm. um, and I should have known better. Absolutely, I should have known better. So I put my hand up and um, and I own it. Um, it was a terrible mistake, but, um, I, you know, I guess everything happens for a reason and, and you know, I resigned after that and um, I walked away. And uh, Chris has now got Brett Kelly and their Lofty there running his operation. Lofty's a very, very good operator and a, and a, and a great man. And he'd do a wonderful job for Chris. And uh, my time there is, is now over. And I've moved on to, um, you know, trying to create my own business now at Port Macquarie and, and get mm-hmm. myself going and hopefully can be successful. I'm sure all of our listeners, Paul, will greatly appreciate and admire your total honesty. Uh, in recounting that story. So looking back now, you'd go so far as to say the whole incident probably expedited something that was going to happen sooner or later anyway. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, I'd sort of worked out my tenure there, tenure there, you know, for Mm. for a while and um, I had had thoughts of moving on, um, but I guess that just fast-tracked things probably 12 months and, um, you know, and I, I am where I am now. But obviously, I would have loved to have gone out on better terms. Don't get me wrong, John. And um, you know, and the, the, you know, the, the embarrassment that I caused certain people and, and other people with that situation. Because you know, like mm. it was my fault. I, you know, I, I, I own it. And, and, um, but, well, no buts. I own it. Um, mm. I, I embarrassed a lot of people, and uh, I've apologised to those people. And um, I'm trying to be a better person now and uh, build a family, build a business and and hopefully um, a successful one. Well, there was one special Queensland-based owner who greatly admired your attitude and your honesty in the matter, and that was Peter Tai, part owner of Winx, who immediately offered you support. You obviously got to know Peter well during Winx's one and only Queensland stopover. I think people have forgotten that. She was only there once. Didn't she make an impact? 
yeah, what what a wonderful mare she was. Mm. What a wonderful mare indeed. And you know, if she's not well, one of the greats that we'll ever see, she is for sure. You know, if not the greatest. Obviously, there's plenty of debate over that. But um, no, Peter's been um, a wonderful, wonderful friend. Um, not only that, a, a mentor as well. Um, and as I said, he was there at that, you know, there's, when I was going through that tough time and he was one of the first people there, him and, um, you know, also Noel, Noel Greenhole and his wife Maria, Peter and Patty, and mm. Noel owns horses like Madame Rouge and Tumultuous. You know, I got to know Noel very well uh, my time in Queensland. Um, you know, they're two people that, um, with their support, I am where I am now. And, um, you know, I probably got half a dozen horses for, for Peter and Patty at the moment. And um, we were lucky enough to ha- host them at Port Macquarie probably a month ago. They came up for the weekend and we had two runners for them and they both won. So that was a really, ah, really perfect. Good, great. Yeah, it was a great weekend. And um, I certainly enjoy their company and, and their, you know, not only clients, but, you know, I feel great friends. Mm. You got away to a flying start when you opened the Port Macquarie stable with a double. I think the horses were swing the tide and relucent. Yes, swing the tide. She was a New Zealand mare. Um, my good friend Josh Shaw. He used to work for me when I trained in New Zealand. And when I when I left, he went out on his own, and he had this mare, swing the tide. Um, she come to me as a maiden. Josh rung and said, he said, uh, this is what he said. He said, bro, this is how he talks. On he said, bro, I have got a horse for you, bro. He mm-hmm. said, I think she'll put you on the map, he said. So, <laughs> <laughs> Full of said, confidence, yeah. Yeah, I said, thanks, Guzzy. So he said, I'll send it over to you. So he sent it over and, um, yeah, she, she won two from two. Oh, no, she ran second her first two starts and then she won her next two. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, she bloody hurt herself. And, um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, she started, she, we sent her back to Josh and Josh has got her back in work in New Zealand now. So hopefully she can go on and, mm-hmm. um, and, and win a race for her owners, Mark and Diane. Varan, who mm. um, I appreciate their support for giving me the mare also, you know, just as a trainer starting out. So mm. um, hopefully she can go on and win a few more races. Even though you got away to such a flying start with that early double, it still takes time to get a flow happening, doesn't it? You've got to have horses coming through behind the current batch all the time. That's it, and you know, and that comes with numbers too, John. So when you're training a string of twenty to thirty horses, you 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 go on ebbs and flows, and mm. um, yeah, we're probably we're probably just just sort of falling out of what it was been a good run lately, and and we're probably going to have a little bit of a quiet time at the moment. We had horses there that have sort of reached their mark, and they're all at class three now, and. Mm. Um, and once they get to class three and, they, and they're showing enough ability, well, owners want to have a crack at tab highways, mm. um, which is, you know, why wouldn't you? $120,000 and they get a day out at Rose Hill or Ramwick. Mm. And um, so, and a perfect example of that is next week on the 29th, I've got five runners in the highway at Rose Hill. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, because they're all at that mark and they've won their races at Port Macquarie and Tari and Coffs and. Um, you know, they're five horses out of my system now that are going to be racing in Rose Hill and Ramwick, and you're not guaranteed to win because they're bloody hard to win. Oh, my word. Yeah. Well, the system's been working because you've won more than 30 races so far this season with that small team. It's a great effort, and uh, it fires you up for the future. 
Yeah, it does. It does. It, you know, 30 winners, and we're only been operating for 18 months. So, um, very, very proud of what we what we've achieved so far. And that comes with you know who you surround yourself with too. And I'm very, very lucky. Mm. Um, as my partner Michelle, she's she's a she's a rock, and she does a mm. great job for the stable. My brother Hamish is um, an administrator and, and my racing manager. He's fantastic. Mm. Um, and um, I've got great people on the ground and some very good track riders who, unfortunately, Belinda Hodder, who rides work for us, uh, she got hurt yesterday morning. And um, oh, she's no, getting, tell me. Mm, I know, yeah. She she's had, only just back, isn't she? Yeah, she is, John. She is. She had a, a, a she was on a quiet horse and um, it startled at a at a duck on the sand track and it stopped and she went over its head and unfortunately she's got a, a spinal injury um, oh but reports are she's going to make a full recovery but we spoke to her this morning Shell and I and uh, she's in good spirits she's at Paul Macquarie and I think they're airlifting her to um, uh, to either Sydney or John Hunter this morning for surgery so um, yeah, we wish her all the best and um, hopefully she can make a full recovery. I'm very sorry to hear that, Paul. Belinda's been a great girl. She's uh, she's ridden a lot of winners on the Northern Rivers and highly regarded. I think she stopped for a year or so to have a baby mm. and wouldn't have been back two or three weeks. No, no. She had, uh, I think she had a couple warm-up rides at Tari on a Sky 2 day, I think, and then she had uh, four or five rides at Lismore last Saturday. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, four rides at last uh, Lismore last Saturday, and then she, um, yeah, she went crashing down yesterday morning. Um, oh, dear me. My brother, my brother left the message. I've got no service where I am at the moment, and we're just away on a little break. But my brother rung and and broke the news. Um, so yeah, very sad. But she's a very strong person, and uh, she'll she'll be back. That's for sure. And it happened on a quiet horse, Paul. How often have you heard that? Oh, mate, it's, yeah, very, very quiet meow, Darcy Diva, she's, mm -hmm. yeah, she's a meow we got over from New Zealand and uh, one of Peter Ty's horses and yeah. um, she's done a great job for us but she's a very quiet horse and you would never have think it happened but uh, unfortunately it has so we wish her a speedy recovery. Certainly do, our thoughts are with Belinda. One of our valued podcast sponsors is Pride's Easy Feed who tell me you're using some of the products. Yes, certainly am, and uh, couldn't be happy with them, actually. They, the horses, um, it's a very palatable feed, and the horses love it. Um, they, have, they have no trouble eating it. Uh, great for their gut health, and um, we've had some fantastic results on it. And um, the fillies, the fillies actually, um, they, they look fantastic since I started feeding it. So I couldn't be happy with the way it's going and uh, build a good relationship with um, the Pride's family and, and their company and, um, I'm sure we'll be using their product for many years to come. Good to hear. Now, Paul, jockeys, you were unhesitating the other day on the phone when I asked you to nominate your all-time favourites in New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, uh, Australia, I said Darren Beebman. Um, mm. I think he's probably the best jockey I've ever seen. And um, obviously we had an association with him at Chris's at the time when Chris was coming through the ranks and he was riding nearly everything for us. And mm. um, and before that, obviously when he rode in the Ulster race, what a what a dominant – I don't think there's been a more dominant jockey, surely, in, in any – maybe Pikey mm. um, over in the West, but um, I'm not sure – when I say this respectfully, that you know he had the competition that that Darren had at the time, but no, uh, 
just a wonderful jockey and um, probably Darren in Australia and um, outside of James McDonald from New Zealand, who's, you know, probably the best jockey in the world at the moment. I think people forget a man with the name of Lance O'Sullivan or Lance mm-hmm. O'Sullivan. What a fantastic jockey. He dominated the New Zealand Premiership for many, many years. Uh, I think he won 10 premierships straight. Um, his father was a champion trainer, Dave, and they just had some wonderful horses. And uh, Lance was a master of uh, dictating speed in a race and um, just a, a great family man and a wonderful, wonderful jockey and uh, someone I'll, I've looked up to for a long time. Mm. Just looking at your current team before I let you go, you thought enough of Twigman to run him recently in the Australian Derby in which he ran a very respectable race. He finished in the middle of the field. You've got bright hopes for him. Well, he's a nice horse, John, and he come from nowhere. Uh, Tony Pike actually had him in New Zealand, and um, Peter and Paddy Ty own the horse, and um, uh, Peter asked Tony if he could fly him over and give him to me to, to help me out when I started. So Tony said, for sure, performance weren't doing a lot at the time, and mm. uh, we got hold of him, and... He was a bit of a rough old rogue at the time, but he, you know, he come to hand reasonably well, and um, we give him a trial with his first preparation. He just showed us a little glimpse of something. We thought, oh, okay, we've got something to work with here, and yeah. um, we tipped him out and took our time with him, and then we got him to the races. He ran fourth his first start, and then he won his next start. Um, we sent him up to the Gold Coast, up to Queensland to spell, and on the way he had another start at the Gold Coast where he flashed home and run third. Mm. And uh, I said to Peter at the time, I said, well, he's a three-year-old. He's got great staying potential. Um, he's going to get better and better. I think we should target the derby. Mm. Um, and we were able to do so. He's won three from seven. Um, I thought I was running the derby at, a you know, what, hundred and. 20 to 1 or 150 to 1. He, yeah. You know, he run 11th, was beaten nine lengths on a on a bottomless track. Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought he did us really, really proud. And he's in the paddock now spelling. And mm. He'll come back a much better horse and he could be a Port Macquarie Cup horse. And if he keeps heading in the right direction, he could eventually be a Metropolitan horse or a Sydney Cup horse. Mm. Any others on the team that punters could follow? Um, well, we've just got a lot, of, a lot of really nice young horses coming through that we've purchased from the sales through the previous 12 months, and um, so they're pretty untapped, and the horses I've got at the moment have sort of reached their mark, but I've got a, a nice mare going around um, in the highway on the 29th called Indy Rose Warrior. Oh, yeah, she's won um, two or three yeah, lately. She, yeah, she's won her last three starts, and mm. I, I, I've got to give a shout-out to Trent Bussard in here. He trained her, him and Natalie trained her in, in Melbourne, and I didn't have a lot of luck with her, and Trent, you know, said to the owners, you know, have a crack at Paul McCorry with Paul Shaler, so I ended up with the horse, and she's mm. had three starts for us for three wins, and um, and she's been impressive, and she's there's a fair bit of upside with her. She's a little bit quirky, but she'll go to that highway in, in really good form, and um, if she draws a gate, I'm sure she'll be very competitive. Well, Paul, you're just 43 years of age. You've had a lifetime of experience with racehorses. You learn from a master in New Zealand. You've worked for one of the most successful stables in the world. You're ready to fire. Well, I'm keen, that's for sure, John. And I think, <laughs> like you say, I've, I've, I've had been lucky enough to work with some wonderful people and um, and some very successful people. And um, you know, my time now is to knuckle down, um, head down, and, and bum up, 
and uh, have a red hot crack at this, which I'm really, really keen to do. I'm keen to to build a, a big team of horses around me, which I'm familiar with. Obviously, working with Chris, so I can think I can handle a big team, mm. and um, and and hopefully win some really nice races and and just build a, a really nice business. Paul, thanks for your time on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Great to catch up. John, absolute pleasure, and um, thank you very much for having me on. Australian trainers are giving Pride's Racing Cube the thumbs up. These small but powerful extruded cubes provide the ultimate muscle fuel to help horses finish their races off while promoting gut health. Racing Cube is a set recipe formulation in which the same premium quality proteins and essential amino acids are used in every batch produced. Racing Cube's profile and digestibility allows you to feed approximately two to three kilos less per day than similar raw grain rations. It's salt-free to help reduce irritation if you've got a horse prone to stomach ulcers. Mornington trainer Jason Warren introduced his horses to Racing Cube early this year and is delighted with the results. We've had a great deal of success since making that change, so really pleased with Pride's and not only the racing cubes, they've got a number of other feeds that work well for us. Pride's Racing Cube is available in the popular 25 kilo bag, in bulk bags or straight into the silo if you prefer, giving you quality equine nutrition at a very economical price. Talk to your local rep about Racing Cube, another winner from the Pride's Easy Feed stable. Trainers are giving it the tick of approval all around the nation.